It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Clock. It's the fighting. Interesting, mate. Yeah. Welcome, listeners, to the Extra Inch. This is part two of our bumper catch-up episode. My name is Wendy, and I'm joined as ever by my psychic and best friend Bardi. Hello, Bardi, and our tactics guy Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hello again, mate. How you doing, guys? You all good? Very good, Wendy. Very good. Good. And as you may have heard in our last episode, we've got ourselves a sponsor for the next couple of months. And it's a sponsor chosen specifically because it might be of interest to our listeners. So we've teamed up with One Football which is a football app. It's available on the App Store and on Google Play. You can personalise your news feed. You can set up notifications. And it's got a very user-friendly interface, which makes it easy to keep up to date with all the transfer news, scores, and some statistics in one central place. So have a look at the One Football app and let us know what you think of it. In the coming weeks, we'll be uh, delving into some of their, their articles on there. Um, so let us know what you think and, and we'll see how this sponsorship goes. Um, so this is the second part of our bumper catch-up episode because we, we haven't podcasted for a while. And in this part, we're going to be focusing on our fullbacks, on rotation, and on various other assorted questions from Hugo Lloris to which players would have liked to have seen Pochettino get his hands on. Um, this is as a result of the, the various questions we got through through Twitter. Um, so thank you for all of those. And we'll start off with the fullbacks. And Andy Perry had a question. He said, who do we buy to improve on our fullbacks? Imagine a situation where we lose all five. Watching Semedo last night, he went against Barcelona. He was the best right back I've seen in years. Where do we get quality like that? Nathan, you did a, a piece in the summer about central midfield options, or an ongoing piece, really, about potential central midfield options. Would you consider doing something similar for fullbacks? And if you did, who do you suspect might come out strongly in that? <laughs> uh, so I, I have sort of touched on fullbacks a little before, and in the summer I would have looked to Ryan Sessegnon, uh, I'd have looked to Ricardo Pereira, and both those players are now in the Premier League, and perhaps as a result um, not available to us, if they even were in the first place. Um, I'm not sure who else might crop up now if I was to sort of go over things again. I actually read a piece earlier today by uh, Saturdays on Co- uh, on Couch, who is part of the, or at least was part of the sort of the stats bomb crowds, and he was looking at fullbacks who go both ways, and his number one pick overall was Kieran Trippier. What? Um, yeah. So the issue with that is that, yes, his his passing stats and his creativity stats 
are good, and so that gives him the impression of being a good attacking option. The issue is, is that he lacks the pace to combine being able to do both at the same time, and also the pace to um, provide the width and take players on, which is really important for Pochettino fullbacks. Although Kieran Triffer is really good, and it means that maybe he is... Um, an attractive asset to other clubs, which means that we may be able to sort of turn some money there and, and open up options uh, for replacing him. Um, he's a good fullback. He's just not suited to us. So there are pacier options out there. And Tomato is someone who may in the past have been available to us, but he's gone to Barcelona where he's not even first choice nailed on. Interesting. I mean, I, I'm, I'm still open mouth about Trippier coming out top, to be honest, but let's not go there. Bardi, who, who do you like at fullback? Who, who would you like us to sign? Um... Well, I, w- I would like to do a little bit of a shout out to Danny Rose, who I thought has been really good this season. I thought he's really stepping back yeah. up to his levels and he's offering us something completely different. The, yeah, he really looks like he shed his skin. Yeah, the goal um, we scored against Brighton, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was uh, shed his skin. The goal we scored, against, we scored against Brighton, I think it was Nathan that tweeted it, said, we don't score that goal if we don't have a fullback like Danny Rose. And... Uh, I, I think um, maybe he's turned a corner and he's coming back in form. Um, I agree with you with Semedo. He, even though Kane turned him inside out for the goal, that kind of does happen when you're backtracking and in the area where you can't really go to ground. Um, we definitely need someone fast. I'm not a scout. Um, as always, I always turn in a moment of difficulty where I can't decide or give an opinion. I turn back towards Italy. And the Italian national team at the moment, even though we're absolute disgrace, we're even more of a disgrace in our fullback area. It seems to be a recurrent issue in places where there's just a lack of fullbacks. I think the thing that troubles me with our fullback situation is even if you couldn't plan for Rose's injury and his ongoing mental health problems and his interview with the Sun, and even if you couldn't plan for Kyle Walker leaving and, and Kieran Trippier being good in some ways and bad in others, you know. They're old. They're getting older. They're, they're in their late twenties, Trippier and Rose, and we know that fullback is a very demanding position, which requires athleticism, energy, stamina, and typically fullbacks peak around twenty six, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven are the the peak years for for fullbacks um, historically. So, to I think it's slightly negligent for Spurs to now be in a position where we've where our best two fullbacks are aging, where we don't really have. Um, a naturally suited replacement for either that's that's been integrated into the first team. Um, and we're left in a sort of, particularly on the left side, a very troubling position where Rose is looking like he might get back to something like his best, um, but then will naturally decline as, as per humans doing that. <laughs> and Davies looks a way off his best and has never really been fully suited to a Pochettino team. And I just find it slightly baffling that Spurs haven't addressed this sooner. Obviously, on the right, we've got Walker Peters, who, you know, I've banged on about before. I think he's a terrific player. I think he's now wasted basically three years at Spurs. Had he left, had he done a Jaden Sancho and gone abroad, I think I genuinely think he'd be in the England squad by now. I think he's that good. Um, and I find it I find it quite depressing that Alexander Arnold is, is now doing so well for Liverpool, having been, you know, he's younger than Walker Peters. He, he wasn't as highly rated um, by by many who, who watch them both, um, and he's kicked on, and now Wan Bissaka for for Crystal Palace is probably going to overtake Walker Peters in thinking of of many as well because of opportunity. So that that troubles me, but I, I think there are there are things we can do. I think there are things we can do uh, 
internally in terms of promoting Walker Peters. I think they're ultimately they were going to have to spend some money. And I think now Sessegnon might be out of our reach financially. I think we need to look at Ben Chilwell of Leicester, who I think is a very, very good fullback. He would cost a lot of money because they're a Premier League team and they don't need to sell him. But I think we've got to address the, the left, left, left back issue before long. And I think Chilwell would be an adequate, um, adequate player for years to come. So, so that's my, that's my solution to that one. Um, I mean, we've spoken about Trippier a little bit there, but we had a question from John Benfield who said, is Trippier limited in that he simply doesn't have the football brain to play as a wing back with three behind him or in a four? And we had a question from Brett Nurse who said, given Ori's injury and Trippier's form, what are we doing with Kyle Walker-Peters? Does he have a future with us? Um, Bardi, wh- wh- where are you with Trippier? Trippier's a, he's, he's a, he's a decent player. He gives us, he's a, he's a great, squad player if you look at our squad I think you probably say we have the best collection of other than rows of like average fullbacks perhaps in world football I mean they are between Oria Trippier Davies these guys would be starting in, in most kind of top six and below teams in, in 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 European football easily but we just lack that top class player and that's unfortunately where I am with Trippier he has some great assets but he also lacks fundamentally for me in areas where he should, what makes a great fullback. Um, for England during the World Cup, when England were playing against teams who were quite happy to sit deep, he's fine. But against teams that break or against teams that control possession, he, he's regularly shown as, shown up as being out of, out of his depth. But would I sell him? Probably not because we don't seem to buy anybody. So, um, you know, keep, keep him. If Walker Peters isn't any good, then I think it's time to end the experiment and kind of hope in Aurier. I still have some lingering hope in Aurier. I never gave up hope in Danny Rose. I love Danny Rose and I will forever love him, even if he is a snake. Some people have pet snakes, but uh, <laughs> I have faith. I have a little bit of faith in Aurier and Trippier being able to do something. If not, fuck it. Let's, let's, let's pray that Walker Peters gets some tight game time. I mean, I just think it's a shame that we didn't cash in on 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 Rose and and maybe even Trippier when they were at their peak value you and we could have really replaced them. With can't players. cash in on Danny Rose. He is he's such a good player, and it was worth holding on to him, letting him fix whatever was going on in his personal life, let him find his form, and if he carries on like how he started this season, he will be great again. And that's a fifty million pound left back that we've turned around. We've 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 managed to change. It's quite key that Pochettino has booted players out for a lot less than what Danny Rose has done, but he's kept faith in Danny Rose. There's, you know, look at the amount of players uh, he's kicked out, but he kept Danny Rose, and there's a reason why because he is, in my opinion, one of the best left backs in this country when he's when he's on form, and it's coming. I mean, I do, I, I find it very hard to disagree with that, but at the same time, he's 28. It's not going to last forever. We could have got 50 million for him 18 months ago, and then, I don't know. It just is. I just find it baffling. But there but, we go. We'll agree to disagree on that one. But we would have signed nobody. That £15 million would have been um, gone straight into the stadium. We would never have seen it again. But yeah, I mean, that's true. But we could have spent £30 million on Cessignon. I mean, two years ago, we could have spent £10 million on Cessignon. And, and that would have potentially solved that, that left-back conundrum for years to come. Yeah. I, I guess I'm just frustrated by the lack of forward planning in, in the full-back area. And that includes Walker-Peters, who I think should have been involved a heck of a lot more... Um, over the last three years, mm-hmm. and I, I think that that probably answers Brett Nurse's question. If I if I were an advisor to Walker Peters, I would say get the hell out of Spurs as soon as possible because if they're not playing you now, you, they're never going to play you. They're never going to play you. And I say this before the uh, 
you know, we're, rec- we're recording before we play Cardiff when Trippi has played against Barcelona, Aurier's injured, and Walker Peters might not start <laughs> against Cardiff and I'll be looking stupid. But, you know, the point being that he should have played a hell of a lot more than he has over the past three years and he's wasting his career away sitting in... Uh, and not even in our under-23s because we haven't even been playing him in under-23 football. He's literally doing nothing. He's been paid to do nothing, but there we go. Um, let's talk a bit about rotation. because We had a, had a question from Mark Lynch from Twitter who said, Another one of the late World Cup players has just gone down with injury, brackets for Tongan. How can we rotate our squad to avoid these breakdowns whilst being competitive? And Nathan, you've you've done a lot of work over the past sort of year on our, on our squad depth. And you visualise the squad depth quite nicely. And does that show up flaws with our, our squad planning and, and how can we manage um, manage injuries and rotation in a better way? <laughs> well, the first thing we have to acknowledge is the, the financial restrictions on, on the team. Um, obviously, that can be eased if we integrate youth players more. Um, what I will say is that I have no, um, and this isn't my area at all, but just from an outside view, I have no uh doubts over the periodization periodization going on at the club i think that um Jesus Perez appears to be an absolute expert in that field and although you can say well hang on what's going on with Kane i think that is an extreme example and everything outside of that appears to have been really sensible with how we handle players fitness so i think within the club we're really sensible with rotation um i also think that the nature of modern football is that football players are simply played too much i think that you know putting a World Cup in a summer when the players have, you know, some players have played 50-odd games. It's just asking too much, uh, physiologically, out of athletes, and that football would be at a high level, at a higher level, uh, if the games were slightly less frequent than they are, if we, you know, cut out a domestic cup for a start and start to look at reducing things that way, I think we'd, we'd have a higher quality of entertainment. That's not something the club can control, but looking at uh, football in the bigger picture, I I, I think that there's a, a big issue within the sport in that regard. I think you make some really good points. Can I just get you to elaborate um, on that periodization comment? Because some of our listeners won't understand that concept. It will it'll be new. And I, I know um, Pochettino talks sometimes in press conference about players being in the red. Um, and they, 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 seem, they seem to have a, a way of monitoring physiology in a way that allows them to sort of see when a player is dangerously close to being vulnerable or susceptible to injuries. Is that so? So, what what do you mean? What what do you understand that concept to mean? Uh, so, there's periodization in the sense of of seasonal, in that you have sort of um, uh, troughs and peaks as you gradually build fitness over time. Uh, and we, I believe that we do it so that we have two peaks, and they're very obvious. They they hit with our form is that we have a peak sort of in December, and we have a peak sort of in February, and that happens to coincide with our form as a club lo and behold, that we perform best in those months and that everything outside of that is either building up into a peak of fitness or coming down from peak of fitness. So occasionally, you know, early off, we sort of, we faded towards the end of the seasons and we typically, we start slow because we build things slowly. Um, And then more on individual level, yeah, we monitor the players very, very heavily um, and we get an idea of when a player is beginning to dip in, in training in these situations, then they're approaching their red line and we need to ease them back. So all that sort of behavior. Um, if you, as I have done, um, very stalkerishly go onto Jesus Perez's Twitter and look through his likes, you'll see him constantly interacting with the world's leading periodization experts. And you can have a look through a lot of the scientific articles and journals and 
presentations of the stuff that that clearly intrigues him or or at least is part of his professional uh, work with Spurs. That's that's so interesting. I'm, it's something I've not really paid close attention to and, and I get a bee in my body about lack of rotation, but that's kind of reassured me a little bit about um, the fact that Spurs clearly are, are doing things behind the scenes to, to monitor players, so, so thanks for that. Um, and, and interestingly, yes, it's always been very clear that we, we peak late November, then through December into Christmas and beyond, and then again in February. Um, my concern, and I think I mentioned this in a, in, a, in a previous podcast, was that because of the World Cup, we might notice players not necessarily start the season sluggishly, but finish the season sluggishly. So I'm still slightly concerned that we'll we'll not have our um, our typical December acceleration, or we might not have our typical February acceleration, and that will then impact on our points total at the end of the season if we can't keep momentum up around those periods and that is a, a worry in the back of my mind um but you you might have eased some of those fears with um with your comments there basically uh with your stalking of um Jesus Perez which is which is great Bardi have you got any concerns about our rotation or or do you think there's more we could do as a club in terms of on the pitch rotation uh I mean on the pitch rotation we've seen Pochettino switch between two to three centre backs switching um the amount of midfielders he plays so where he doesn't really have the ability to switch players, he switches formations and that enables him to to give a player a rest. I think the injuries that we currently have at the moment will probably, in a weird way, end up benefiting us eventually because a player will naturally get a rest. Um, so, I mean, there's not, there's not much else you can do other than have a bit of forward thinking and realise that Belgium... We're perhaps going to go deep in the tournament. I think where Spurs got caught out is England going so far deep. And I think that's, that's what hurts the most. The, the unexpected easy draw England received all the way to the semis. I think you're right and that the injuries will, will help those injured players because they'll get, a, they'll get a natural break. The concern I have is that our squad is so small that them being injured means there's then no rotation for the players who are having to fill in. So we'll just play and play and play and play players until they, they potentially break down themselves. So that's my, that's my one concern with our current injury crisis. Um, let's, let's move on a little and talk. We've got a, a whole range of questions from, um, people from, from Twitter. Let's talk about uh, this one first. I know Barley's going to be interested. Jack Yates says, is there any argument for why we shouldn't move on from Hugo's errors and sign Pickford? And I noticed he mentioned Pickford, but then someone pulled him up on that and he said, he basically said it doesn't have to be Pickford, it could be anyone, but why don't we just sign another keeper that's more reliable? And I know, Bardi, you've had some problems with, with Hugo Lloris. Tell, what do you think? Yeah, I, 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 he's, he's gone from being a goalkeeper that kind of sweeps and sees danger to a goalkeeper that now kind of guesses at danger arriving. And, um, he, he has someone tweeted me when I, I put out a tweet regarding Lloris saying about his errors that he's making in these big matches. And someone said he's become almost occasionally very Gomez-like, uh, where he remains a great shot stopper and stuff, but he's kind of vulnerable to, um, guessing and trying to predict the flight of a ball, which is something very dangerous to do when you're playing against teams as good as City and Barcelona. He's making errors, um, He's making errors of judgment, not just in his personal life, but on the pitch as well. And I I don't see these errors being corrected. And I think we don't have the money to replace him. And I'm not saying he's a terrible goalkeeper. He's still a thousand times better than Gazaniga. But the thing about Gazaniga is he doesn't take the, doesn't come out and try and sweep up as much. He's much more of a classic goalkeeper who stays back. So, um, I don't think there's anything we can do about this. We just kind of have to hope that 
it doesn't happen as frequently, but it does seem to happen in the big games against those teams that punish them. Had um, his decisions come rushing out, happened against, I don't know, Brighton, then um, they wouldn't have had a player as clever as Alba to play the first time ball back or as player as composed and technically gifted as Coutinho to bury the chance. So we don't see these errors punish us that often. It's only against the high-level teams and the standard of the Premier League at the moment where you got the vast majority of it's pretty crap. We we don't get hurt. So it's not like something I would say we need to replace now. But if we ever want to win the league, if we ever want to go really deep in the Champions League, then we need a better goalkeeper than Lloris. I've always thought of, of um, Lloris as a goalkeeper that doesn't tend to make too many mistakes. But when he does make them, they tend to be catastrophic. But I've noticed over the past year that the volume of those errors has crept up and up and up. And I, I do feel as though it's in his head now. And, yeah. and that is that is the problem because he's he's trying to predict what might become an error before it's become an error, which then creates an error. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. But, and I um, think that's um, that's a major problem for a goalkeeper. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's um, it seems to happen to him an awful lot at Wembley. I don't know. I don't. I don't seem to remember them happening that much at White Hart Lane. Maybe you guys can correct me, but I think there's something at Wembley where he's still not adjusted to either. The, the size of the pitch, his kind of spatial awareness of it, but he does seem to get lost at Wembley quite often. Maybe, I don't know how we can fix that, because at White Hart Lane, I don't ever remember him getting that caught out, but maybe, maybe it's just a Wembley thing, and when we go back to White Hart Lane, he'll revert to being solid again, but I don't know. Possibly, maybe some continuity um, would, would be better for him, but... I don't know. I, I, I feel less forgiving towards Lloris since his off-the-pitch mistakes, and I, I know that probably makes me seem incredibly harsh and unforgiving, but um, I don't think the club dealt with it particularly well. I think he probably should have been punished more harshly. I don't think he should be our captain. I, I find it almost embarrassing that he's still our captain, to be honest. Um, you know, he he has been our best goalkeeper in my lifetime. He's 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 only thirty one. He's comes he's thirty two in December. That's, that's still relatively young for a goalkeeper, and you'd expect him to have three or four more years potentially at the top level. But I'm already sort of thinking, you know, maybe we do need to start looking to the future and, and thinking about spending some money there. And ah, uh, it's not like we have a, a a young backup who looks like he can just come in and take over from where Luis has left off. We've got Vorm, who's thirty four. Gazaniga's in his sort of what mid twenties. He's twenty six. Um, and and Gazaniga looks okay. He looks like a, a suitable backup. He doesn't look like a first choice goalkeeper or, or a long term goalkeeper goalkeeper solution. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Nathan, where, whereabouts are you with our goalkeeper situation? 
Uh, firstly, I, I agree with your remarks regarding his um, drink driving incident and, and the captaincy. Um, Lloris isn't as good as he was, but he's still pretty bloody good. Um, I think Bardi's remarks on Wembley is interesting. So the, the pitch is larger, as we know, and that sort of affects your your bearings. But also the ball bounces harder because the grass is shorter and the turf is harder. So I wonder if that's maybe affecting him. I think that's an interesting angle to look at things from. Um, yeah, I'm not in a rush to replace Hugo Lloris. Firstly, we have bigger priorities in the transfer market, which we've we've talked about to to some extent. Um but maybe we should be saying, okay, we need to replace Hugo Lloris within two years and we can begin scouting now. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly we don't go, well, Pickford's good, we'll buy him and then we'll start playing him in two years' time because, you know, that's uh, uh, absurd financially and everything else. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I don't think we should hang on to how good Hugo was and everything he's, he, he's performed, how well he's performed when we were shit. Um, and just say, well, we owe him a career because that's not not true and not a sensible way way to run a football club. Um, yeah, it's not a huge priority, but it's something that I certainly wouldn't be adverse to us beginning our homework on. So essentially, it's what we should have been doing with Dembele two years ago. We should start doing Absolutely. with Luis now, and, and we didn't do that with yeah. Dembele. So let's hope we do it with Luis. <laughs> I mean, it will be quite interesting to see what um, what France do next with Luis because they've been playing. Um, uh, Ariel and Fiorentina signed the young French goalkeeper, which is perhaps someone we should have looked at, um, Lafont, who's played really well for Fiorentina. So, um, you know, there are young goalkeepers out there. So we'll see, I think we'll kind of, dis- we'll can see where Lloris's career will go by judging by France's decisions and how they move forward next. We have a question from, uh, I think it's EKV guard who said, what player would you most like to have seen un- play under Poch? Who could he do most with, both active and retired players? So this is basically, if you could pick any player um, and give them, give Pochettino a year to, to work with them, who, who, which player would you have chosen? Let's start with Nathan. Uh, okay, uh, so um, my favourite type of player are central midfielders. Spurs are in currently need of a central midfielder. Um, I believe the best ever central midfielder is Xavi Hernandez. Um now he's not especially physical, and I don't know if that translates that well into what Pochino wants from his central midfielders. The second best player, in my opinion, would be Luka Modric, who, of course, uh, we had at Spurs, and we saw how brilliant he is. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess Modric would be the pick because, uh, yeah, just what a combination that would be, Modric under Pochino in this system. Um, I think that that would make us title contenders um, without wanting to get too excited. That would be incredible. Oof. And Bardi, how about you? I I thought this was like to do with ex Spurs players. That's fine. Go for it. <laughs> well, still Montrich then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, that's true. Um, I would like to have seen him. I would like, obviously, Gareth Bale would have, is a is an easy one to pick. But also, um, Ledley King would have been a nice one to see. Um, I think he was quite, even though he was right footed, he was very comfortable on the left or playing on the left of two and. Against Barcelona, we look very awkward there. Sanchez, who I'm a huge fan of, and I tweeted once that so he's, he's better than King. I, I still believe one day he will be better than King. He looked very uncomfortable playing in that position. And even did Alderero when he was switched over during the games of the left-hand side of the, of the back two. So, um, I think King would have, a, a fit King would have been, um, an excellent player to have, uh, under Pochettino. I'm now having to think on the fly because you've you've basically both taken the answers that I was going to give. So, um, genus. Yeah, 
do you know what? That's the one that's that just came to my mind as well. And I, I really do, I really do think that Gina's had something. And the one thing that was lacking with him was, was self-belief. And I think that's something that Pochettino is see, he sees it as such an important asset in a player. And for him, confidence and calmness on the pitch in a player are absolutely imperative. And Gina's never had that. He never had that belief that he could, he could manage a game, that he could become the conductor in the middle of the park. And what Poch could have done for him as a as a personality on the pitch, I think he could have been a terrific player. I was also trying to think of, of fullbacks because I think the players we've seen Pochettino do the most with over the past four seasons have been our fullbacks. Um, so I was trying to think of of particularly left backs I'd have I've liked over the years that he could have worked with, but there's no one that immediately comes to mind. But to be honest, I'm really I'm still really looking forward to seeing long term what he can do with Walker Peters because I think all the raw materials are there for him to become a Kyle Walker type player who's actually a better dribbler than Kyle Walker. Um, maybe not as sound defensively, but, but going forward, he's, he's a better dribbler. Um, so so I'm, I'm still excited for that if it, if it works out. Um, and, and again, going back to, to past Spurs, Colm Leonard said, your favourite and least favourite tactics, tweaks and use of players by past Spurs managers. Please don't use the obvious Chadley as central defensive midfield, he said in brackets. Um, Bardi, let's start with you this time. What, 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 what have been your favourite and least favourite tactics uh, I, by previous Spurs managers? I don't know if you remember the the North London derby we played at um, at White Hart Lane under AVB, where we scored two goals in like two minutes. Lennon and Bale scored, and we we played this ridiculous high line. And the funny thing was, Arsenal mirrored us, and I, I there was one shot which always stuck in my head where the game was played like. 10 yards into their half and 10 yards into our half. And for the first maybe 25 minutes, it was whoever learned how to break an offside trap first would have won the game. And thankfully, um, we, we learned how to do it. And it was, I think it was a through ball by Parker. So he was the first one. Was. Yeah. That shows, <laughs> Parker's that shows how ridiculous both teams high line was that it was Parker that slipped the ball through. And then all of a sudden, when we went 2 0 up, we changed tactics and the game slowed down and it became less bizarre. But that is probably one of my favourite um, crazy tactics. That if we'd played against a Wenger who was tactically aware, he would have just he could could have destroyed us that day. And my least favourite, uh, I don't know. I, I'm old enough to remember the the stodgy George Graham days when you know when we would be on last on match of the day. There wasn't obviously the coverage and accessibility to football matches as there are now. And your only glimpse at Spurs was um, waiting up until the very last moments of match of the day. There was no Sky Plus or anything where you could record it and fast forward. You had to either use Video Plus to set the VHS or wait up and sit through it all. So anything to do with George Graham is my least favourite tactic. How about you, Nathan? Uh, as for favourite, I'm probably going to cycle back to the last question and talk about um, Luka Modric development in that when he was first arriving at Spurs under... Under Redknapp, he was um, playing in more attacking roles. And the decision... I don't know if he was playing central midfield before he came to Spurs. Maybe that's something I should he, have looked at before answering this question. Oh, okay. Well, then forget this because it's not a good technical event. All right. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I think you've got uh, a point. I think you're yeah. along the right lines here. Okay. Along the similar time, I specifically remember standing in the crowd at White Hart Lane and singing Gareth Bale plays on the left. Um, and I was wrong because uh, Redknapp and then AVB's uh, development of, of Gareth Bale has been similarly brilliant. Um, and his ability to play left, right, central, and behind, um, and certainly not a left back. 
has uh, was been amazing. You know, one thing I've learned from this podcast is to to check with you guys what your answers are going to be first before uh, before we do these. Because <laughs> I mean, you've just taken two of my two two different points. So so one thing I was going to say was that I I, I really enjoyed when Martin Yole, I think it was Yole, was the first to do this for Spurs, started playing central midfielders on on the wide left because we didn't have a natural left winger. We didn't have anyone who fit that role, obviously. And a lot of fans were up in arms. They wanted two natural wingers and it made no sense for them to have a central player out there. But ultimately, we ended up getting quite a lot from Timu Tainio, who played out on the left a lot and I thought did a really good job. And then that sort of got him used to playing in midfield and he ended up having a storming game against Arsenal in the middle of midfield. The same thing happened with Modric. He came in, he played on the left. We bedded him under Redknapp. And ultimately, he got moved to central midfield once he'd kind of got used to the pace of the English game. And, and that was a that was a bit of tactical ingenuity that I, I enjoyed. Um, and I was going to say my least favourite was Gareth Bale playing on the right, which then became my favourite because at the time I was so against it. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, we've got this kid. He came as a left back. Yeah, fine. We converted him to left winger. He's a left winger. He's doing damage there. He's getting up the line. He's delivering cross after cross after cross. He's whipping the ball across the face into the far corner. Um, and he's so effective. But then ultimately moving him to the right or giving him freedom to move to the right when he wanted to took him from a very, very good Premier League player to one of the elite players in the world. And what the hell do I know? Um, that's one thing that Harry Redknapp got very, very right. Well, it was he was getting nullified down the left. Everton did it after the Inter Milan game where they just double marked him. And being on the left wing, obviously being a left footer, he had nowhere to turn into. So it, it just made... I don't know if it was a tactical revelation that, you know, there's been a lot of inside forwards existing in throughout the history of football. It just made sense to have him turn into the pitch on his stronger foot rather than forcing him inside on his weaker foot. Do you remember quite often in the early days of Bale playing on the right that he would he'd get down on the outside and still try to use the outside of his left foot to cross from the right until he developed the confidence to then use his right foot more regularly. Bale was was a purely confidence player. Do you remember as as a young kid, he was remarked that he was always fiddling with his hair. He was conscious, self-conscious about his ears. And he's always, even now today, he plays with a top knot covering a ball patch. So he still remains a very player who's a player who's very self-conscious about his appearance. So, um, yeah, he just needed to learn. He needed to learn his body and learn how he plays. I liked his outside of the foot crosses, though. Some of them were really Some lovely to watch. His assist for Dempsey against City, I think, was a, was a left foot yeah. outside of the book. Yeah, beautiful stuff. Bardi, this one's for you. Yeah. It's from uh, JDK on Twitter. He says, for Bardi, Batistuta against Shearer. This is a rollover from the Fighting Cock discussion. It'll be nice to hear Bardi's take on it. And also, Chris Caulfield said, can both Wendy and Nathan systematically destroy Bardi for his ludicrous tweet the other day about Shearer not being top 20 um, strikers in, in world football? Feel free to back it up with stats or simply just ridicule cure him. Either is fine. Bardi, defend yourself, please. <laughs> Anybody who seriously thinks that Alan Shearer is better than Batistuta, seriously, they, they need to rethink their life and rethink how their eyes work or maybe maybe they 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 never saw Batistuta I mean the man was incredible he's like you know there's only four human beings that have scored hat-tricks at two world cups and like two of them are like world cup legends like Just Fontaine and um Gerd Muller the other one's Batistuta and the other one's a, a Hungarian chap so Batistuta's international goal scoring record is incredible the goals he scored at Fiorentina in the the nineties when Serie A wasn't it wasn't like you're playing against Bournemouth every week. There was proper teams in Serie A back then with um 
proper tackling and everything, you know, like proper football man tackling. So, and he continued to score goals. He, he went, after he finished at Fiorentina, he went to Roma, who had won maybe one uh, championship in their history. He went there, bang. First season he's there, they win the, the Scudetto. You know. How many goals did he score in his second season, Buddy? Not many, but his knees fell, his, his knees fell out from under. What about the season after that? Oh, no, that was it. Roma was it. After Roma, he, he, he was finished. His knees fell out. And the poor guy can't even walk anymore. And he didn't tap out of international football early like Shearer did to preserve his stat padding. Uh, I mean, you, 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 you've, you've stated your case well. I think the point, the point that people were making, I mean, Batistuta was an unbelievable player. He's, he's a better technical and all-round footballer than Alan Shearer. I don't think you'd get many arguments. But you, I think the question that Dan Kilpatrick had put on Twitter was about best strikers of all time. And strikers going on goals. And Shearer scored more than 100 goals in Batistuta at the top level. Um, he was active for a longer period. He was more consistent. And, and so I, I think the comparison is Are you sure? Much closer are you sure one. he scored over 100 more goals? Are you, are you sure, Wendy? Uh, not so Batistuta apparently scored 184 Serie A goals. And Shearer... Okay, so it was 80 more. He scored 260 Premier League goals. Well, that... All competition, the, the Alan Shearer's got the, the 100 goal surplus on him. There you go. So if you're including cup games and the like, it's it's 379 for Alan Shearer and 271 for Batistuta. So I don't think the I don't think it's quite as unreasonable as you you make out to suggest that Shearer was a better better striker. But it's a quite it's probably a question of longevity. Maybe maybe Shearer does deserve a place in the low te- in the late teens in the <laughs> top twenty strikers. Maybe I was a bit OTT there. Maybe he deserves a spot in the top twenty best strikers. Okay, maybe I, maybe, maybe he does. Maybe he deserves a place in the top ten. <laughs> maybe, maybe in the top five. Maybe. Um, I, I, I think what you're saying is Batistuta at his absolute peak you think is better than Shearer at his absolute peak and I think that there is a reasonable argument to be made for that but Shearer went on and on and on and on and he didn't stop and even after his injuries he adapted and he became a different player but it was still just as effective I mean he was he was a machine for year after year after year he was like Harry Kane is to us now but he won titles and title title he won a title and and he did it for another, another what seven or eight years I mean, hopefully that'll happen with Kane. His England we, we record wasn't great. It wasn't. It wasn't a great England record. I don't have the stats, but I didn't. I uh, Thirty goals bad. in sixty-three games is a you know, it's it's a goal every two games. It's certainly not bad. I think only I think only Messi's outscored um, Batistuta when it comes to goals for Argentina. If he has even, I mean, you know, it's it's an argument we could we could stay on this it's, all it's day. A, it's a it's a close call, but um, and I'm gl- I'm glad we've got you to accept that Shearer is in the top twenty. <laughs> I'd, I'd squeeze him in and, uh, I'd squeeze him in down there, down the, down the low, t- late teens. I'd put him in. <laughs> let's I move just, on to our, uh, I just, I, I, just I would just like to say that I just don't think a player who find, he, okay, he scored goals, he's a striker. He, fair enough. I give you that he scored a lot of goals, but football, sometimes, you know, football is about more than just the stats. Sometimes it's about poetry. Sometimes it's about movement, flair. The kind of moments these players produce that kind of inspire magic. The reason why we all watch football and the reason why we're here talking about football is because of something, romanticism about it. And then, of course, you can go off into your nuances and facets and stuff like that. Shearer, for me, doesn't get my blood boiling, blood pumping. He's not a player that I will turn the TV on and go and watch because he's not that interesting. 
You tell that to a Newcastle United fan. Yeah, from the you, Newcastle United fans. What do they know about anything? Come on. <laughs> Seriously, he he they they he's he's their greatest ever. They worship um, what's his face? Um, what's the striker? Jack, Shola Amiobi. <laughs> Shola. They they worship the ground he walks on. I'm not sure that's quite true, uh, but there we go. There we go. Let, let's move on to our further reading because we we didn't do that in part one of this special. So let's let's make sure it happens in part two. And and I'll start. Um, it's a it's a piece from earlier in September, um, and it's a piece that Jack Pitbrook wrote about Harry Winks called "No Pain, No Gain for Harry Winks" as Pochettino looks to get the best out of the time youngster. And it just came at a time. It was a really refreshing read, a really positive, refreshing read at a time when. Um, I needed a bit of a pick-me-up about Spurs' central midfield problems, and it kind of reminded me of, of what Winks can do and what he can what he can hopefully get back to for Spurs. So um, I'd certainly recommend a read of that piece from Jack Pitbrook and the Independent. How about you, Nathan? Uh, I'm going to continue the long-held extra-inch tradition of piling onto Trippier at every possible opportunity. <laughs> um, there was a stats bomb piece a month or maybe two months ago um, that a few people sent to the extra-inch, but I, I follow James anyway, um, looking at our defensive issues and the fact that almost or not almost all but a lot of our issues come from the right back area defensively um and that just helps to quantify and 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 back up some of the things that we've been saying about how his um athletic limitations hurt us in those areas and Bardi, how about you what's your further reading for this week i wasn't going to do this but you both annoyed me so <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to... He's bringing out the big guns. Yeah, I read a really interesting piece by um, Totally Football Analysis regarding um, Sassuolo and their, their coach, De Zerbi. <laughs> so I wasn't going to do this. I was going to go English football, but you annoyed Nathan, me. Just, just beat this out, yeah? <laughs> yeah. You annoyed me. Yeah. So um, um, Tifo Tactics also did one on De Zerbi. Um, Serie A, as we know, doesn't have a lot of money, but what it does have is some very clever and very different tactical approaches to football. and. Um, Totally Football Analysis did a really interesting post on Sassuolo, how they play. And one of the most interesting things about Sassuolo is they've got former Spurs player Kevin Prince Botang in the team. And it's just really interesting to see how the kind of football they're playing and the way they destroyed Inter on the first game of the season. And then also they've pushed Juventus and they're really outperforming the sum of their parts. That's, that's actually quite interesting. So we'll let you have that one. Of course it's um, interesting. <laughs> That's it for this episode of The Extra Inch. Thank you for listening once again. Um, you can follow us on Twitter if you, if you're so inclined. Uh, Barney is at BardyTFC. Nathan is at Nathan A. Clark and I'm at WindyCoys. You can email us at TheExtraInch at TheFightingCock.co.uk or you can get us on Twitter at TheExtraInch or you can find us sometimes posting on Reddit or the Fighting Cock Forum. Actually, that's a good chance to plug the Fighting Cock Forum. There's a really good, um, if you're interested in the, in the youth team, there's a good youth thread on the Fighting Cock Forum. Um, the rest of the forum is a hellmouth, so avoid that like play, <laughs> but the youth thread is great. Um, thanks for listening and we'll be back we've got some some more podcasts lined up very soon including uh, a youth podcast focusing on on our youth teams and and, uh, talking about English youth football in general Um, but yeah we'll, we'll be back soon